If you would uh, turn in your Bible this morning then to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 as we are uh, continuing to study Jesus' sermon here in uh, um, this chapter. We started last week looking at uh, Jesus, uh, the Beatitudes, where Jesus turns our world upside down. Uh, Jesus exalts things that we um, naturally seek to avoid, and he says how sad, how tragic uh, to things that we naturally um, pursue, that things that we naturally uh, desire. Uh, Jesus is uh, training his, uh, his newly chosen apostles. We, we noted that he's called the 12, and now he's speaking to them and to the, the uh, rest of the disciples and just laying out basic principles of the kingdom of God. Uh, what does this kingdom look like? How does it function? What are the citizens like? What are the values and principles that function in the kingdom? And last week we noted it, it, um, it's a little convicting because Jesus challenges us. We tend to be category B people. We tend to be people who, we like to be happy. We like to be well-fed. We like to be popular. We, we like to be rich. And we often uh, grieve losing those things. Uh, Jesus just turns that right on, right on over, gives, giving us an eternal perspective. That's what we talked about. That's what Christ is calling us to. That when you have an eternal perspective, uh, only then can you get, get excited about things that Jesus gets excited about, and only then can you understand uh, what, he's, what he's teaching us to do and, and how he's teaching us how to live. Only then will you begin to look at rich, popular, uh, happy people who have everything this world can give, and you'll think, oh, that's so sad. Not out of a sense of superiority, but out of a sense of genuine grief. That's all they have for eternity if they're not rich towards God. And it's how we will get excited about pursuing the things that Jesus calls us as his disciples to pursue. And we're going to need that perspective and that enthusiasm because this morning Jesus has some uh, continuing hard things uh, to say and hard things for us to hear. Let's pick it up then in verse 27 of Luke chapter 6. We'll read through verse 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil." Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's ask for the Lord to bless his word to our, our hearts. God in heaven, you have things to say to us today. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is able to open our, our hearts and our spiritual eyes, to open our ears so that we can hear and that we can be blessed. Lord Jesus, you mean these words for our eternal good. May we receive them that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue in Jesus' sermon uh, today, 
we're going to find that the truths uh, do not become more comforting. They become more uh, convicting. If, if you thought uh, last week was uh, somewhat uh, convicting, I, I think you'll find this week to be totally devastating. Uh, I, as I'm studying this, I'm realizing Jesus is he's really actually asking us to do impossible things. And we, we know this text, we've heard this word, these words, we've probably heard sermons on this before, and yet uh, the truth is that every word in this short command uh, un, un, just undoes us. Uh, love, real love, your, the actual real people in your life, enemies. Uh, that, that is not possible in your human uh, strength. It is, is utterly unnatural. Uh, those words examine your heart with x-ray vision. Those words reveal what you really actually live for, the principle that, that uh, you abide by, the, the thing that motivates you in your inner being. These, these words expose us. And they expose us in a, in, a, in a painful way, and yet Jesus also at the end is going to show us a beautiful reality that belongs to us as his disciples. So let's just first just go to the command. I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. We have that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 as well, where Jesus expands it a bit. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. You see, there's a, uh, this command comes in a political, theological, social context and that is that um, when Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, well, he's referring to a well-known, accepted Jewish principle and way of life. It was an accepted principle, principle that if you were a Jew, uh, then you were required to love other Jews, at least the good ones. You weren't required to love tax collectors. But you were required to love good, well-meaning, uh, well-intentioned Jews, and you were absolutely free to hate Gentiles, to hate Samaritans, uh, to hate people who um, did not fit your category. That was an accepted principle. You were not required to do good to a Gentile. You weren't required to desire good for a Samaritan. In fact, there would be something suspect about desiring to do good and, and actually doing something good for a Samaritan. People would question, whose side are you on? perfectly appropriate for uh, a Jew. It's even laudatory uh, for a Jew to hate his enemies, to hate Gentiles and Samaritans and, and, and great sinners. So that's just a common way of life. Now, where does that come from? Well, if you would ask a Jewish teacher, rabbi of that day, where do you get that from the Bible? He probably would take you to places like Psalm 139, verse 21, 22, where David writes, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, one of these days, we're going to do a sermon on the imprecatory psalms um, to understand how, how, do we, how do we interpret that today. Well, there's a... Um, I, I won't get into that sermon today. <clears throat> there's a reason we don't um, take that quickly upon our lips today. Uh, and the reason being, Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. 
A Jew would also take it to Leviticus 19, verse 18, where it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so when a Jew would ask, Who is my neighbor? The answer is, Other good Jews. And who do I need to love? I need to love sons of my own people, which means I'm absolutely free to hate those who are not the sons of my own people. I'm free to hate Gentiles and Samaritans and sinful Jews. And so this is the normal, natural, accepted way of doing life as a Jew in Jesus' day. We shouldn't be shocked by this. There are um, clearly remnants of that in our own history, and, and, uh, or at least things that we know about. We know that it wasn't that long ago that you could be a very um, considered uh, good Christian, and it was perfectly normal for good Christians to be unbelievable racists uh, who had nothing good to say about African Americans, who abused African Americans. It wasn't that long ago that you could be an upstanding Christian elder in your church, and, and it was just a given that, that was, there was no conflict there. It was utterly acceptable. I think in um, conservative Christian circles today, it's, we, don't, we don't really flinch if someone has really um, hard words to say about left-wing Democrats and socialists and, and uh, homosexual activists. Um, when we disagree, it can easily spill into loathing, despising, hatred, and it doesn't strike us that there might be an anomaly there, something not quite right there. I remember growing up, a good Dutch Reformed kid, um, we were taught, um, and again, I'm not saying theology doesn't matter, but we were taught um, to def definitely sort of um, loathe is too strong, despise is maybe not quite as strong, but um, Roman Catholics were just fundamentally not serious about Jesus and about the Christian faith. And my best friends, uh, the, the only kids within a square mile, really, were Roman Catholics. We had a great time with them. But we just knew that uh, their theology was utterly messed up, and uh, we were better than they were. That's, that was just given. In fact, um, uh, there were sort of a tier of people. Baptists were better, but still not as good as us. Uh, the RCA maybe was uh, right close, but we still looked on them with suspicion and took particular joy in beating them in softball whenever we could. The that was just sort of how we lived, right? There's this pyramid of, of people who are really sort of at the top, and then you sort of you grade where other people fit in that pyramid of, of more or less pure and, and good. And we, we knew where those things were as kids. Well, Jesus has taken a sledgehammer to that pyramid. Uh, that's, he's, he's opposing that way of, that way of thinking, as he, as he speaks to his disciples now, calls us to love your enemy. And he means real, true, robust desire to bless and serve and do good to people who hate us. The word here is, for love is agape. It, it's, 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 
It's a, it's a love that is not drawn out by the loveliness of others. It's a love that pours out out of the nature of a loving heart. God loves us with agape love. And, and we're to, to have that exact same love pouring out from a changed loving heart towards enemies and in practical ways. So Jesus says, I love your enemies, and he, and he categorizes those enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Now, those are, that's really hard. Have, have you ever experienced being hated, really truly being hated? I find it's frightening to be hated. When, when you look into the eyes of another person and realize they genuinely despise you. They hate your guts. They want to do harm to you. That's what he's talking about. And your instinct in that situation is to withdraw and to despise, but to protect yourself. What Jesus said, that person moved toward them to do good to them. Do good, active, engage, do good to those who hate you. Do you remember being cursed by someone? I mean, cursed by someone who really meant it? Their anger and their hatred spilling out into ugly, um, horrible, wounded, wounding and wicked words where, where people just try to tear you up with their words? That can be a devastating experience. People carry that, the scars for life from that. And once again, our tendency is withdrawal. Jesus says, engage in a war of words. For every curse they hurl at you, you get to lob a blessing back. So as they're cursing you, you use your mouth to bless them, speak blessing to them. It'd be a fascinating fight to watch. Here in one corner, we have the man who's hating and cursing, and here in the other corner, his opponent who is loving and blessing. It'd be a very frustrating uh, battle for the world. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. Pray for those who abuse you. Abuse is an awful thing. It's a violation of one's God-given dignity and value. It is, it's one of the worst experiences you can go through to be physically, sexually, or emotionally truly abused. And those who experience that abuse understand that something is being violated to the core of their being. And Jesus says, pray for the, the abuser. Now, that's going to touch a sensitive nerve with some of you who've experienced physical or sexual or emotional abuse in that way. But, but I want you to encourage your brother or sister, listen to what Jesus has to say. Don't deflect these words just because they're hard. He's trying to save us. Jesus knows where we live. He knows what we've been through. But he means what he says as he speaks these hard words, he really means for his disciples to love their enemies in this way. It's interesting, and I think instructive here, that when it comes to abuse, Jesus does not require the abused person to remain in the abuse. He doesn't say move toward them to, bless, uh, to do good to them. doesn't say uh, bless them. We should expose abuse. In all of its ugliness, we should do all we can to protect those who are being abused. But Jesus does say, pray for them. Pray for them. 
that we get a perspective from, right, the perspective of Christ, the perspective of eternity, that we, that we understand that there's something bigger at stake here than just my woundedness. Here is a person, a man or a woman, who is on their way to eternal torment apart from God, and, 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 and that is, should draw from us, you see, the, the compassion to pray for them. Now that Again, that's really difficult. It might even seem offensive to you. I've talked to people who've been abused, and, and they've said literally, I want the, the deepest thing I want is for that man to, to burn forever in hell. And it's so easy for us. We could nod and we could say, oh, I, I understand. I can only imagine. Friend, G- Jesus doesn't agree with that. Jesus doesn't agree with that. Jesus gave his life for people who were on their way to hell and people who were abusing him. Jesus prays for them. Father, forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. So he he means what he says. He he just means it. And we have to recognize that this is actually truly impossible in our own strength. And it might even, as I said, it might feel offensive. What about simple justice? We just, do we just live in the world like mats? We get just rolled over? We let anybody do anything? Well, look at what Jesus says next. You might not like it. <clears throat> to, one, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. And I believe the them there are your enemies. People quickly, you know, sort of glibly take the golden rule. Do unto others, you would have them do to you. Well, yeah, but I think he's saying, whatever you would like people to do to you, you do that to them, your enemies. That makes it a little more difficult. So what do we do with these words? I don't believe Jesus is commanding us to support every panhandler um, or unload our goods on those who steal from us. Uh, even though there's a fantastic scene in, uh, or, uh, in, on the page of Les Mis, um, right where the bishop says, I think, I, think you forgot, uh, I think you forgot these articles of silver here. And um, God uses that in a powerful way in that man's life. Well, that's, that's, I don't think that's what Jesus is telling us to do. I think it's, it's beautiful, powerful. But, but if you follow that principle through, it would require us, uh, anytime someone robs from you, to, to um, just unload. Uh, you forgot the TV. You forgot, um, which might be a good thing, actually, but the, here's, you know, here's another car. Here. So what would it mean is that God's people pursue um, utter poverty uh, at the hands of criminals. Well, th- Jesus is not inviting criminal activity. This, so this is, um, this, is not, this is not just saying um, ignore what's right, ignore what's true. We're not to encourage evil. We're not to even passively um, promote evil or allow evil to have its way. So I- interestingly, when Paul is being beaten in Philippi, he doesn't turn the other cheek. He says, is this really how you're supposed to treat a Roman citizen? When Jesus is, is, is slapped, uh, when he's on trial and uh, someone slaps his face, Jesus doesn't turn the other cheek. Jesus said, why, why did you do that? He rebukes the man. So is Jesus contradicting his own words here? 
Well, that's the, when, you take, when you just take something woodenly, um, it can seem like that. I think the way to understand this is think about a context of persecution. That's what Jesus just finished talking about. Leap for joy when people uh, speak evil of you and they, um, they abuse you and persecute you because that's what they did to the prophets. And so in this context, when we're to, be, to leap for joy, to suffer for Christ's sake, Jesus, you see, is inviting his disciples into the freedom of laying down your rights, not, not fighting for them, but, but there's a higher calling at stake here. So Paul was, Paul was within his rights and was not, he was not violating his mission when he calls the, the governors there to acknowledge their laws. Jesus is not violating his mission when he rebukes the man for slapping him. But what does he do next? He goes to the cross. He's not, his, his primary goal and purpose is not to stand for his rights, not to protect himself. His primary goal is to save sinners. Same for the Apostle Paul. Right? He wants to promote what Christ has done. So does that make sense? So there's a, we're free to appeal to our rights, but never is the ultimate thing. Never is the ultimate goal. There's a, there's a higher mission, which makes what the bishop did in Les Mis see so beautiful and powerful. He was free at that moment not to fight for his rights, but in the pursuit of a mission, a saving mission, willing to be wronged. You know how many lawsuits, silly, frivolous lawsuits in the church would disappear if people would just apply this principle? You know how many fights there would be, silly, ridiculous fights in the church would disappear if people would apply that principle? That there's something higher than my right, something higher than um, what, I, what I think ought to be. There's a mission here. And I'm free, you see, for the sake of Christ, for the cause of the mission, I'm free to let my rights go. And I'm free to do, do unthinkable sorts of things of blessing people who are out to do me harm. There's a, there's a greater cause, a higher calling. Now, you see, our, the primary concern then for a disciple is not, your, it's not justice for you. It's grace for people, other people who need to know Jesus. And, and, and Jesus... Um, raises then first the command, secondly the concern, verse 32, 34, if you love those who love you, so what? That's what he's saying. What benefits that? If you do good to those who good you, do good to you. Well, the guys down at the bar, they do that. The mafia does that. Your, your local gang does that. I mean, there's no, there's no divine principle at work there. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that? Sinners do that with sinners. You're, you're just look, you just operate like the world then operates. You see, Jesus thinks that his disciples ought to look differently. There, there should be something unique, something that stands out. Christians ought to be noticeable, shining like bright stars in the midst of a dark and perishing world. They're supposed to be holy. That's the whole point of it. We're supposed to look like our Father in heaven. So in Leviticus, you find God saying through Moses, speak to the people of Israel. This is Leviticus 18. Say to them, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. 
And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. That's the call. You see, we're to to be different and march to a different drummer. Customs, we're to adopt customs of a different kingdom. Love your enemies. Uh, Alistair Begg in his sermon on this text makes the, uh, I think, excellent point that the world finds it hard to believe that the church actually agrees with Jesus here. Jesus commands us Right? To love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, and bless those who curse us. And the fact is, is that we probably do a fairly decent job of loving those who are like us and doing good to those who agree with us and blessing those who share our political and social values. But the church in general struggles mightily in loving those who are not like us. And in, in fact, I th- truth probably is that we feel free to ignore and despise people who are not like us. I mean, look, I think, just, I think it's just true that if you're white, middle class, drive a minivan, you'll probably fit quite easily here at Harvest. But, but if you're of a different economic status, if your sexuality is all messed up, if you, have, if you have tattoos that offend, if your politics lean strong to the left, I mean, do you think it's easy to get on here, even if you're Christian? Much less if you're not? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. You see, the world, the world, do you know what the world thinks generally about the church? The world thinks that we have someone at the door to make sure that people like them don't get in. That's what they think. And someone's standing out front, and uh, when you come up, you fit, you look like us, great, come on in. Are you such, such, such? Well, we just assume you, you not show up. Do you, do you realize how offended the world is by the snobbery of Christians? Now, again, they, they, it's hypocritical on their part, but that's beside the point. They're, they're, they're unbelievers. I was, uh, Lynn Hunter caught me um, after last week. He works as a, as a referee for sporting events. He, says, he said the, the least favorite games for the referees, uh, many of them who he works with are not Christians, the least favorite game, games for them to officiate are the games with Christian schools involved. They get more abuse uh, from Christian fans than from the pagans. Uh, the Christian sports teams often have the worst reputations in the league. That's awful. That, that is, that's just awful. When Rosario Butterfield was in town, she gently but clearly rebuked the church. She said the lesbian friends that she knew and hung with when she was in that lifestyle embraced hospitality, knew how to show hospitality much better than the church. Now, are we willing to hear that? Because we could just sort of brush it off. We could just say, it's not true here. Um, it's not like that. Or the world, you know, it has its own problems. Why are they pointing fingers at us? Jesus had this amazing ability to really point his finger at these sorts of issues. Do you remember uh, in this context uh, when Jesus is having a discussion about someone, uh, how, to be, you know, how to be saved, and 
The man asked him, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. And the guy senses that um, he might be under the microscope a bit. So seeking to justify himself, he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Wrong question. But it's exactly the Jewish question. Who is my neighbor? Because he's got it pretty well figured out and categorized who he's required to love and who he's not required to love. And, and so Jesus um, tells a story about the, a man was traveling and was beset upon by uh, robbers and they beat him up and took all of his possessions, left him lying for dead in the road. And a, and a priest comes by and he notices the man lying there and so he goes around and keeps on his way. And then a Levite comes by. These are true blue Jewish leaders Respected men, and the Levite sees the guy, and he also goes around and goes on his way. And, and you can imagine the people sitting around uh, listening to this. And they're, they're, they see that Jesus has identified, right, two guys, and religious sort of leading class. Well, who's going to be the third guy? The third guy's got to be, right, the hero of the story. Who's it going to be? It, it's probably going to be just a Joe Blow sort of plumber guy, right, a normal common man. We're going we're gonna to go, Jesus is going to go after the ruling class here. And Jesus says, a Samaritan. <laughs> now, to, that would sound like, and, and Muammar Gaddafi came by and saw the guy lying in the road. And Gaddafi had compassion on the man and took him up and bound his wounds. That would, that would sound like, and the homosexual activist came by and saw the man lying there and showed mercy on him. And then Jesus says, so who's, who's the neighbor? Well, the guy that showed the mercy. You see, what Jesus does in this story is brilliantly reveals what loving an enemy looks like. The Samaritan is loving an enemy. The Jews hate his guts. But he's also rebuking the snobbery and the wickedness, you see, of religious snobbery. Christian love should be shocking. Christian love should be surprising. So how are we going to do it? I hope we just sense the weight of this. How are we going to do it? Well, don't try harder. Because trying harder will mean that you'll go out of here and you'll say, all right, next time the guy cuts me off, um, I'm just going to bless him. Good luck with that. You might make it a week. Next time my boss says something, I'm just going to bless him. Next time, whatever. You see, you can, you can say, all right, we just got to get serious and we're going to grit our teeth and we're going to do this. You will not succeed. Haven't you tried that before? I've tried it before. You see, here, this is what Jesus wants us to see. The next time the guy cuts you off on the road, and anger and self-righteous pride, whatever, whatever it is, some of you, you, your rights have been violated. The next time someone says something that's unkind, the next time an enemy, an actual enemy approaches you, and you find that, that, that strong, angry response in your heart, Jesus wants you at that moment to stop and ask, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why don't I have the heart of Jesus? Why don't I respond to my enemies the way Jesus tells me I need to respond to my enemies? You, you see, Jesus is requiring things you can't do, but he's insisting that you do them purely by his power. This is why I love what Tim Keller says, that a disciple isn't someone who's just going about a bunch of duties. A disciple has been, his heart has been melted and molded into a whole new shape. So here's the corrective. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So let me wrap up with these two things. 
The corrective is two things. First, be what you are. Jesus is speaking to his disciples as if they are children, and he's reminding them of their Father in heaven who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He's saying to children of the Father, be what you are. We should expect to see these traits. We should expect them in the Father's children. There should be family likeness. And the beautiful thing is, friends, is you, if, if you look around in the body here, you will see evidences of these things. You will see gracious patient, kind, forgiving people, people who, who forgive and show grace in, in, in the face of tremendous woundedness, tremendous sin, tremendous offense. If you know each other's stories, if you're just paying attention to what's going on around here, you're, you're going to see evidences, beautiful evidences of exactly what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is saying, keep moving, praise the Lord. This is what it's like to be a child of the, fa- a child of the Father. Be what you are. Love your enemies and do good to them. Why? Because you're, you're sons of the Most High. And then embrace what He is. He is merciful, and He's been merciful to you. This is your Father Jesus is talking about. How did the living God become your Father? Through the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, his mercy that he showed on you and all of your neediness. And so you see, the next time the guy cuts you off, you have a different perspective. you got a different pair of glasses. You can say, how sad that this man th- thinks that, that life is about being first. And he's, he, he, this man has no concern for other people. He's just flying through life. I used to be like that. I used to live like that. Far too often I'm still putting myself first and it always leads to misery. That poor man, you can pray for him, not because you're supposed to, because your heart's been just so saddened by this poor man and, 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 and you love him. You want to pray for him. That's discipleship. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And so friends, it's an impossible thing and yet it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. God actually is, a, is, is about this in your heart if you're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, this is utterly nonsense to you. And yet, friend, I, 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 I call you. Jesus calls you. You can be made different. You can be made completely new. You can be made someone who actually has the ability and the desire to love an enemy. And all for the glory of our God. Let's pray it together. Father, you expose us in our moments of anger, our moments of snobbery and self-righteousness. You expose us to be petty, to be self-centered, self-righteous. You expose us, Lord, um, to be people who so often really are pursuing our kingdom and our glory, our agenda, our way, our rights, And Jesus, you are calling us to die to all of that and to live to something so much greater, something so much more beautiful. You're calling us to life, to be people who recognize the great mercy we've received in Jesus, to delight in that mercy. And as children of the Father, to go into this world and into our relationships expressing and showing that mercy.
Father, thank you that you are kind to the ungrateful or you would never be kind to us. Thank you that you were kind even to the evil or you never would have sought us out and purchased us with the blood of Christ. Father, I, I pray that these words this morning would take root in our life and bear fruit as you make us more and more in your likeness and image. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.